Welcome back to the Data Driven Real Estate Podcast, the podcast for real estate professionals dedicated to driving business using data. I'm Aaron Norris, along with Sean O'Toole with Property Radar, and this is episode 41. Uh, we are very excited today to have Melissa Shea. She's the CEO of real estate integrated company, Everyday RE Group, the president of the Long Island Real Estate Investors Association. She's got a New York broker's license. She's a licensed commercial lender for everyday funding and an exit realty regional owner for Connecticut and Rhode Island. And since she has eight kids, I'm just excited she can talk to us. So Melissa, <laughs> welcome to the show. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's a real pro privilege to be on here. So that's great. We don't talk to too many people with that many different licenses. How did you end up yeah. in this niche? Um, just out of service for people, you know, they would, I would, my first passion was owning a RIA, right? A Real Estate Investors Association. I bought it about in 2007. Great year to buy it. Oh my gosh. Really great buy it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I just kept asking the members, what do you need? What do you need? And so they'd said, uh, we need a hard money lender. And back in those days, right, there was no hard money lenders. Um, they all disappeared, right? And then you got 50% LTV and stuff like that. Yeah. So I said, all right, let me start getting into it. So I started helping them, you know, uh, raising capital to for different projects and stuff like that to help my members out, joint venture or whatever. And then uh, I realized you need a, a, a broker's license for it. So I got a broker's license to do it. And then I... Uh, my members kept saying, well, all right, now that you got us the money, where's the deals? So you have a broker's license, get a broker's license and start a franchise. So then I started doing the real estate um, side of it. And uh, we started helping our members out the way. And um, then I got my NMLS to help um, people with their residential mortgages. I've since passed that on because let's face it, I got a lot to do. And that's, that's, I don't like working with the government that much. <laughs> so um, lots of detail and paperwork that is not my forte, but I found a really good servicer for the industry and my members. And I just care about the members. That's all it came from. That's how I just kept wow. racking up those licenses and things what, like that. So. What brought you towards uh, to buying a, a Rio? How'd you, how'd you reach that? So, and just for um, the folks listening, ARIA is a, a real estate uh, investor association. So it's a, a local group of real estate investors. Because it's so much, it's so little work and you make so much money as uh, running ARIA, right, <laughs> Melissa? <laughs> well, in the beginning, yeah, it's a labor of love as, oh my gosh, I actually turned it into extremely profitable business and I didn't didn't intend to do that. It was again just out of service because I my first year of real estate I bought six properties, then I bought eleven my second year. By the wow. third year I realized I'm in a lot of problems here because I didn't know it was around two thousand five six seven. Um, I bought on appreciation and not cash flow, and I found myself in a big pickle. And I didn't know how to get myself out. And I was only doing it by myself. I read Rich, I read um, Carlton Sheets' book, <laughs> <laughs> dating myself by saying that. So I cover my grays. But um, yeah. And so I got myself in some big trouble. And I was searching for somebody to help me, like a, a group or something. And um, I did the Rich Dad Poor Dad. No, not Rich Dad Poor Dad. Um, I started Googling it online you know, investors on Long Island. And so it brought me to a RIA group. And Sean, I, you're not going to believe me, but when I walked in, I felt like 
angels were singing like, oh, like <laughs> there's people like you just as insane as you. You know, my friends were telling me you're buying another house, you know, more tenants, toilet problems and you got to evict. And, you know, I started losing my friends. My family wouldn't talk to me about it. And I got so much negativity. And then I walk into this room of like, you know, 50, 60 people and like they were all yeah. Like, go get them, you know, so positive. And so um, I found out it was right around 2007, right? When the market was correcting. And uh, the president said she was going to sell it to some person that was just going to dissolve it for his own. And I thought, oh, God, I can't lose my little heaven. (laughs) Yeah. So So self-preservation that. uh... (laughs) Yeah, I just. So I asked her, I said, please, I, I love this group so much. Can you please make sure that, um, you know, I'd be interested in buying it. So, and she, we worked out a deal and uh, I bought it and I've never looked back and you're right. You're Aaron, you're absolutely right. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to run it. I wasn't a good marketer. Um, I did everything wrong. And yet it's my most successful business today. So who knows? You can fail into success. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of your other businesses uh, came out of that, right? So yeah. lending and uh, real estate brokerages and, and other things uh, all grew from that uh, fateful uh, day when you walked in. Yeah, I, I, I wish I knew how much my life would change, or maybe it's better I didn't. Um, I, I became a, a mentor, which I never thought I would be. Because you have like that imposter syndrome in the beginning. Cause you're like, I was just doing like, I'm a hustler. If you can't figure that out already. Yeah. Um, I just like doing it. Right. And then everybody, and then I went through a horrible thing called divorce. Anybody been through that? That's fun. Um, so it's like a reset in your life. Right. Cause they take everything. I mean, everything's gone. You know, once they find out you got assets, they just, the lawyers suck it all up. Um, so our kids lost everything. And um, the beauty of that, the absolute beauty of that was I got to rebuild the whole real estate portfolio again with so much more knowledge that I could do it so much faster. And I was actually on a radio show, like kind of like this. And the guy asked me, if you had to start it all over again, what would you do? And so I started saying it. And then he's like, why don't you teach people? I'm like, oh, I don't think I have time, you know? And uh, do you know we had one? You don't have time. You seem to have time for everything. (laughs) I know. I I gave up sleep. It's a great thing, you know? So, um, but what happened actually out of that was, you know how um, a lot of times RIAs will have these people come in and educate the, you know, your members and stuff like that. And this guy took 10, I think it was five, Five people he took $7,500 deposits from and just vanished with the money. Oh. And so, so my heart broke for them. And I said, listen, I won't charge you anything, but I'm going to have to do it as a group. And I'm going to have to add five more people in to, to offset my costs. And that's how my mentoring program started. I have uh, over 140 graduates. Everybody, um, 84% of them make their money back in uh, two years or less, and 50 of them make it back in um, less than a year. So those are awesome. really high numbers, by the way. Are you behind them with a lighter, like putting a fire under them? or? Oh, yeah. I kick their ass. <laughs> that's, no. <laughs> that's very no. impressive. A lot of people do not take action. 
Yeah. I I think that's the biggest problem. It's, it's, you know, it could be, I I think it's often less the instructor and more the people that are attracted to those programs. So do you weed out people when they apply? Um, Because the only way you can have that level of success is by telling a whole bunch of people no, because there's a bunch of people that just will never, they'll pay the money uh, with the hope and dream, but they'll never Mm -hmm. actually do anything. Yeah. I, I, I think that's probably the biggest thing. I don't, it's not about volume for me. I'd rather take 20 small. I think we're up to, our classes are up to maximum 20 because I know I can be effective with that. And um, with that, I'll, I meet with them one-on-one. And if I don't feel like they're a good fit for the program, you know, no harm, no foul. I'll give you money back or you go on to, I'll give you some recommendations of what you should be doing. But I'm looking for people who are just as motivated as I am. You know, I'm going places. You want to come with me? Then you come. But you, you're not ready yet? Then then there's a lot of other free content out there. <laughs> totally. Where Where is your Rio located? I'm in Long Island. So, Long Island. Um, okay. and now we've and branched how, out to Connecticut and Rhode Island. And you guys meet monthly? Yeah. So, well, actually a lot more now. We used to meet monthly pre-COVID. Again, I did the same thing with the very first um, COVID RIA meeting we had virtually like this. Uh, we had about 80 members on there, which was great. Yeah. And I said to them, what do you guys want from me? What can I do? What can I show leadership to you guys during this scary time? And they said they wanted more free content and more support during this time. So we turned it into a weekly call and we have done double down with education. We give them six meetings a month now and which is a lot. That's a lot of work. Yeah, that's a lot of work. Yeah. But I can't tell you how many more deals have come out of it. More students have come out of it. Mm. Um, you know, you give, you get what you give, right? So I gave it for free for the whole year. 2020, I gave Every meeting was free for all our members and everybody was free. And then in 2021, we started charging and um, it's been extremely successful and rewarding. Well, what kind of deals are you doing right now? Is it, I know you manage, you have quite a few rentals, but are you still flipping? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm flipping right now about uh, 17 properties and I have a portfolio about a hundred and it ranges every day because I'm buying and selling so often, but it's a range of about 120 to 130 units is where we're at right now. And how many of those are flip versus hold rental? So 17 are flipping right now okay. and the rest are all buy and hold. I so really want to double down on buy and hold. Buy and hold. Uh, yeah. Yeah. When I'm you, a, that's, and that's since 2007 or actually since after the divorce, I guess, when you restarted. So how, how, over what period of time did you do that? Well, I've done over 600 rehabs. Um, wow. Yeah. So my, and here's the funny story, right? So if anybody's listening and you think, oh my God, that's too like crazy. Like I could never do that. I, my first 11, I didn't make any money on. I made, I wrote checks at the closing table to get rid of my first 11 houses. Oh no. How, screwed up is that right i call that I'm education just, <laughs> oh, yeah it was it's so, a different way to pay for education right you pay a mentor you pay somebody else or you pay at the deal it's, it's you're, you're gonna it's pay education. it either way right yeah you're gonna pay it either way 
a personal right. short sale. All right. Woo. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, yay, another rehab. I used to get it like a gut in my stomach. Like, oh, this is going to be the one. This is the one I'm going to make money on. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you still lose a little bit here and there. Um, but I've also made a lot of money flipping, too. I mean, where, where are you predominantly that. flipping? Is it in the Long Island area? God, no. Um, no, it's mostly out of state. Um, we, we have a lot of competition here in New York. Um, we've got a lot of people with deep, deep pockets. So very competitive. We used to do quite a bit because we were specialists in short sales. Um, I unfortunately had to go through it with my divorce. So I got a wonderful lesson on how to do it. And I got a wonderful lesson on the emotional part of it because, uh, a short sale is not about the financial matter for them. It's about the emotional piece of it. Yeah. So if you can connect to them in that um, space of empathy and the fear they feel, um, they have a lot more trust and confidence. And I've taken them through the finish line and, um, and I enjoy it. I really enjoy it because watching, you, you ever do a short sale and watch them at the closing table? Like when they sign their last document and they get up you see thousands of pounds of stress just leave. I always tell them tonight is going to be the best night's sleep you've had in years. And so we did get a lot of our, our flip, fix and flips from that. But when the COVID and moratorium hit, it's really, it dried up quick. You know, I think that empathy piece, right? Whether you're an agent taking a listing or you're a real estate investor buying somebody's house or whatever like that, that is really the the key to the whole thing. If you're working directly with the uh, with the owners, right? Like yeah. understanding that situation and the rest. And that piece is so lost on everybody who's focused on. I mean, we're we're in the list business. We sell lists, right? But mm-hmm. but everybody's like focused on oh this list or that list, and you know you can have the best the worst list in the world and close a lot of deals if you can connect with owners, and you can have the best list in the world and not close any deals if you can't connect with owners. Yeah. That, and it's a hard thing to teach. It really is. I, I have quite a bit of agents and I, you know, trying to teach that compassion, you either have it or you don't. Um, I find the best ways to recruit for that is somebody who's actually been through a short sale. I always tell them, make their mess, their message message, because look, you can relate to them, right? Like, look, you were in a financial mess upside down, destroyed credit, blah, blah, blah. And now you come out, you're, you're smarter, you're better. You buy a short sale afterwards. So you know how to buy with equity. You, um, you can make money helping others. It's like such a, a, I know it's cliche-ish, but there's a real joy in doing that. There's a real satisfaction in your work when you can help somebody and then still get a good payday out of it too. You know, that's fun. So. Well, That's why your lists are important. So, <laughs> <laughs> you and I talked. Yeah, about- so the lists are still a necessary part. We're here. For oh God, that's where it starts, right? <laughs> uh, I want to before we go into the states that you're active in. I, I do want to talk a little bit about Long Island. You know, we have listeners all over the country, and so some people might not appreciate your your proximity to New York City and what you guys are going through to compare to what the city is. And I believe you have some inventory in the city of New York, right? Yeah, so we have uh, the whole tri-state area pretty much, except for Jersey, because, you know, 
New Yorkers and New Jerseys. <laughs> Ooh, taboo. <laughs> um, but yeah, so when COVID hit, right, um, if people don't understand, Long Island is the island next to Manhattan. It, it, it actually has Queens and Brooklyn on it, but we don't um, naturally associate those two with Long Island. Yeah. But um, when COVID hit, they all came to the island. So our real estate jumped up, like many cities, right? The suburbs did so much better than the city did. And I can't tell you the increase in amount of activity just from that. And New York started it all with the COVID, you know, um, you know there, was, there was some scary times in the beginning, like this time last year, a lot of deaths were happening. People just wanted to get out and um, they were just overpaying ridiculous amount. They had cash and they just kept buying. And so our market went up quite a bit. Our, and the dynamic was our inventory shrunk because any of the short sales immediately were expunged because there was no evictions, no foreclosures going on. So inventory shrunk fast. It created that increase in price. And we're still kind of experiencing that, even though the city truly hasn't opened up yet. You know, gyms still can't open up and restaurants still can't open up fully, you know, so yeah. they're feeling it. You know? And uh, for how's the tenant situation worked out? I, you shared one particular story of a, a tenant that stopped paying in February where you offered cash rate keys. Can you, can you walk us through that? Yeah. So this is going to sound really bizarre to a lot of other states out there especially because I invest in Tennessee and it's very different there. Um, so I have 10 buy and holds in New York. One is actually a shelter home that Nassau County is my um, tenant and they didn't pay for four or five months, which oh. is interesting. Wow. Um, and that was for homeless people, right? So that's crazy. But the one story I was telling you about, Aaron, was um, they both stopped paying in, they, the husband and wife stopped paying in February the mortgage on it is $3,260 a month is my monthly payment. And they were paying $3,200 a month and they stopped paying. They are both on disability. So they did not lose their jobs. They did not lose their benefits. And then they decided to rent out my basement. So they were renting out my second level, collecting $1,800, bragging to me about this realize that they don't have to pay New York, you know, because New York said pretty much you don't have to pay if you're a tenant. And we have been paying ever since. So that's February of last year. So we're on our, what, 13th month of paying. Uh, April 14th will be 14th. And we can't even start the eviction till June if they don't extend it again. Which and an average eviction in New York prior to COVID was six to eight months. And then they did a law change that was now making it nine to 12 because they added, uh, you had to give 90 day notice to them to vacate, right? So, I mean, I offered this woman up to $30,000 to move, $30,000. And she wouldn't take it. Is that crazy? Well, because she knows that she's going to be able to park it there till 2022 and you'll be out 70 grand and. Yeah. 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 You will, you will end up with a judgment. 
you know. Oh, how yeah, much yeah. Because that, that does you, but. Because they just filed bankruptcy and wiped that away with a $2,000 payment, you know. So, yeah. I, I think what what our state did was sinful in taking away our rights as landlords um, because I have a commercial mortgage. You know, they're like, oh, just ask for the forbearance. Well, a for, forbearance doesn't forgive the debt, first of all. Right. And the second part is, is that you're going to have a lump sum due when it comes up. And maybe you can modify, but that's not the luxury we have with uh, commercial mortgages, right? Because it's not FHA backed or anything. So I'm paying like 7%. I'm looking to refi because the rates are better now, but um, I can't refinance either because I don't have a paying tenant, right? <laughs> yeah, so, it doesn't really look good on paper, does it? Nope. So I think, you know, and that's why we invest out of state, right? Because who wants to deal with that, you know? And it really ruins it for other people. I'm very active in the, um, you know, homeless homelessness. I have a non-for-profit organization too. And um, it really ruins it for them because where are they going to go, you know? And then let's like take it, you know, you guys are going to have some serious lists coming up in our market because you're going to have two things. One is you're going to have all these landlords that want to sell, right? I put that house up for sale as is with the tenant occupied. You can't even believe how many people are making offers on these houses like that. Really? Well, yeah. Well, they're going to have That's to deal with the tenant after, right? I mean, can... Yeah, but they're so desperate to get houses. Anything, right? So, and they figure they'll make it up on the back end. Yeah, I'll sell it at a $60,000 discount just to get out of the damn thing. And they'll pick up a deal and they'll deal with it. So, and if it's a residential mortgage, they're getting rates in the threes, right? And right. we're in the sixes, you know, so fives now. If it's a homeowner that buys it, the eviction law is different, right? They can actually kick the person out. No, not in New York. What? Not in New York. Isn't that crazy? Well, that's even it is, interesting. Like why they would take that risk. They're just so desperate to own something. Yes. yes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? But um, yeah. So Are, that that's what uh, the next major fall is all these investors that only single family houses, right? They're behind on their mortgages because these tenants are not, not paying for months and months and months of time. I have 10 houses out of all 10 houses in New York. Only one tenant is paying. One. Oh. Yeah. So I'm floating $35,000 a month in mortgage payments just in New York. And these tenants do not have to prove any kind of. Nope. Yeah. Nope. No hardship. In California, at least on paper, right? They've required uh, proof of, you know, of, you know, loss there. And uh, that seems to me like just a base case requirement, like. Yeah. You know, yeah. why should somebody get a windfall? Um, you know, that, that's just, it's not fair. It's not right. And here's what the other problem is. So, so let's, let's get through the, win, you know, forget the amount of foreclosures that are going to happen because of this incident. Where are those tenants going to go when they eventually get out? If you know that they haven't been paying during COVID, do you think any landlord is going to even take them? The shelters I, are going to be over flooded. And because the county wasn't paying us, we closed down our shelter. So, so many shelters closed down. It's a big mess. So my solution is go to Connecticut. <laughs> go to, go to uh, 
you know, South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee, anywhere else, you know. The pendulum's always swinging, you know, even in places like California. And sometimes things have to get really bad before the pendulum starts swinging the other direction. So, you know, maybe this is a, you know, the, the, the cure, right? Like having it get so bad to one side, then things start swinging and going the other, other direction. It's just, I don't know. That's the way things go over time. Yeah, there was... It, it was too landlord, uh, too tenant friendly state. I mean, literally a Manhattan eviction would take you two years. You know, it just, it, it, that's insane. That's an average and a foreclosure. The average um, time to foreclose in New York is seven years. So five to seven yeah. years. Is that insane? I've got a guy who's always reaching out to me and uh, about, you know, he still thinks in, you know, New Jersey, New York, that whole area that there are, and, and we don't really know, right? We kind of believe this is true in Nevada because we had we were tracking Nevada back through the crisis, right. and um, Nevada changed some laws and basically made it criminal, you know, to foreclose. Right? It, it, it's crazy. It's a long story. We wow. won't go there, but um, but what we saw happen was the foreclosures went away, right? But I don't think it was because people started making their payments. I think the banks just said, forget it. We'll let them not make their payments and we'll just sit on these properties until they, you know, whatever. So, you know, I wouldn't surprise me at all today if there are tens of thousands of owners in Nevada that haven't made a payment since 2007. And uh, banks have just said, we'll wait till they die or sell or move or whatever, right? And because it's not worth foreclosing and the prices have gone up. And so that, you know, the asset's still there. We're we're continuing to accrue the interest and stuff. We'll get paid someday, but we're not going to worry about it for now. And, well, they got to uh, be careful about that because they could do a quiet title action and clear their debt out and that's it. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. maybe. So, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, uh, you know, and so anyways, he feels the same things happen in, in, in New York, New Jersey, et cetera, and that there are tens of thousands of people that have, haven't made a payment since 2007 and oh, yeah. no foreclosures because we didn't really see the volume of foreclosures there that we saw in other places. In uh, Nevada? No, no. I'm saying even mm-hmm. in New York and New Jersey, Nevada, certainly. Yeah. You know why a lot of that was, um, so, because <laughs> We're such a reputable state. Um, there was um, a, the largest um, attorney was fraudulently foreclosing on people, uh, Stephen Bounds' office. So they had to reverse all the foreclosures. Every one of those foreclosures. You know what a mess that was? And they put a moratorium for 18 months on foreclosures. So what happened was they just settled out. And that's why our short sale business did so good because we were just settling out with the bank. The banks were hungry to just settle at that point because they knew they couldn't foreclose. And yeah. Um, yeah. Do you so have, that's really where our strength comes in is that that short sale market, which yeah, when that'll will happen. come back eventually. Do you see a lot of members sort of preparing for the opportunity that you're talking about? Maybe picking up some properties for over leveraged investors not prepared to do what you're doing? Yeah. Um, the uh, Investors, you know, you don't even have to wait for the foreclosure part. They're just so desperate to get at Like investors are a little bit different than homeowners because they don't have the memories of, you know, bringing Johnny home from the hospital and watching him grow up in the house. You know, it's a, 
it's a different emotional attachment, right? It's like, oh my God, my legacy. <laughs> yeah, they don't have the legal protections. Um, not being foreclosed or evicted. <laughs> yeah. And well, actually foreclosure, they still can't foreclose on them either. But okay. it's going to destroy their financial life, right? Because yeah. the financial hit to them is is too much. And so if they can get out of that, they'll take they'll take a hit and move on, you know. Um, it's unfortunate because it's out of our control, right? And and I, I think that's the part that, uh, you know, losing our constitutional right to execute, you know, you don't pay, you have the right to evict. And I don't mean like, you know, throw them out heartlessly, but like you said, there's a lot of good reasonable states that said, you know what, you have to prove that you actually got impacted by COVID before we have before you can go after it. is a three-month grace period, four-month grace period, something. We're trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of support, right? So much in the name of homeowners, so much went to, uh, not homeowners, but uh, to renters and the rest, right? And so there's been a lot of support for these folks. And, you know, so to the degree that we were going to put trillions of dollars of support out there to have it go to making sure their housing payments so it supports the entire chain and doesn't just pick and choose. And, you know, I keep hearing stories of like folks that are, you know, not paying their rent, but investing in GameStop. That can't, that shouldn't right. happen. Well, that was a stupid thing that they did. A lot of the legislation didn't think this one through. No. They wrote the checks to the tenants. They should have been writing it to the homeowner, the uh, landlord. And I'm, so the tenants got the checks and they still weren't paying their rent. Like you said, they, yeah. they went... That's why I was tracking the the up. Tenant, like, let them make the decision, but then don't protect them from eviction if they use it, you know, on a new big screen TV. That's true too. That's true too. That's Are there? Point. I've seen different states doing different things. Um, in California, there's some nonprofits getting CARES Act money to backfill, specifically working with landlords. Or is any money available in the New York market for landlords making up past rents as grants? We've been we've been trying to actively uh, come together as a community. It's a little div- divided right now, but it's it's taken such a hit that we have to get united on it. But no, there's no resources for they view the landlord as the big ugly rich people, yeah. and meanwhile, it's your mom and dad, your neighbor next door. It's not it's not conglomerates. It's not hedge funds are smart. They're buying in in places where there's low taxes, right? They're not buying in their own backyard, right? And here's the funny part is most of the investors that buy these rental houses live in New York. You know what I mean? So that's the ironic part. You're actually hurting that whole economy of scales. Like you said, Sean, like if they had just paid it to the landlord, it would have kept the whole economy going. Um, right. You know, the same thing happened to, to small businesses, right? So, you know, like in a lot of cases, small businesses, right? You gave people this extra unemployment benefit, which I think was awesome. And, you know, there's a lot of good things about that. But right. then I know lots of small business owners who were trying to survive and keep their business open. And they're asking those employees to come back. And they're saying, I'm making too much money on unemployment. I don't want to go back to work. Right. Right. right, right and right. and so now, wait a second. You know, so yes, this helps in a way but there were jobs available over here that people weren't willing to take. And, you know, so it's, we're not very good as a country at, at stimulus. And it's one of the reasons, right? We have it, we put all this money out there 
And ideally, right, you're reflating the economy, right? Uh, COVID's incredibly deflationary. You're reflating the economy and getting right. it back on track. But because we're not good about how we do that, the money pops up all these unexpected places. Um, right. And, you know, you've got a run on uh, exotic cars and you've got a run on GameStop and you've got Bitcoin going through the roof. And like... <laughs> It, the money pops out in these places where it shouldn't, and yet small businesses and landlords aren't helped at all, and they're getting just absolutely hammered. And um, and you know the rich get richer because both parties think that uh, the two hundred fifty thousand dollar a year small business owner or you know small landlord that owns five properties is a rich person and yeah. not not the guys who are actually profiteering off of all of this. Yeah. Anyways, I'll get off my soapbox. This is, we're here to talk to you. Yeah. But you know, what's interesting about that is that, you know, thank God we're in real estate. You know what I mean? And that's probably the message. And that's probably why, you know, my big, my big mission, if you want to put it on life is to empower and educate people for financial independence through real estate. So it doesn't work in New York. So great. So what, you know, take your lickings, but don't give up right? That's my 600 rehabs. I would not have my 600 if I gave up after my fourth writing my check, you know, and there's real estate available everywhere else. I'm still making a lot of money. Thank God, because that's offsetting my New York mess. But and my guess is, is if you, if you survive through this thing in New York, mm-hmm. you still do really well in New York. Like everybody wants to beat on yeah. California, but, you know, the That's investors I know in California all kind of crush the investors I know everywhere else, right? In terms yes. of absolute income and the rest. And, you know, you're making fifty, dollars $100,000 a deal versus two and yeah. 10. Like, so. That's true. I, I don't know, but it, it does, it can be very frustrating at times. Yeah. And if you do it right, like, um, ironically, Florida is the one I made the, the largest spread on. But there, you know, our average flip is between forty and sixty thousand dollars. Still, you know, it's it's got a, a good chunk to it. I mean, there's I'm not gonna lie. There's times when we made some really really good money, and then there's times where you just get beaten down by the town and stuff. And I'm writing a check for twenty thousand dollars to get out of the deal, and the, the you know, but um, it's just a yeah. big boy game, and you got to get into it, and you got to survive, you know. And I'm a woman, and I do it anyway. <laughs> You're a New York woman. You better watch out. Yeah. <laughs> and a mom of eight. Well, yeah, mom of eight. That's where you really got to watch it. Exactly. Well, let's talk about the data. You talk about different states. What data did you use to, was it strictly landlord friendly or how did you select your states? So um, I evolved over the years as I, I grew my knowledge base, right? So my first mistake was I bought in Florida similar to a market we have now, right? I bought new construction. Back then it was very popular, right? So DR Horton would buy a, you know, build a house, a community, whatever. I It was like gambling, honestly, it was addictive, right? So I put down $10,000 and then I'd wholesale that contract off in two months for another $10,000. I'm like, wow, this is great. It was cooler than me, right? So, and it was, it, it, I kid you not, it's like going to a casino, right? So the first time I did it with 10 grand, I was like, oh, wow, I got 10 grand back. So I did it with three houses and I think I made like 15 grand, between 10 and 15 on each house. So what did I do? I go in with 11. <laughs> 11 and, is a magic number. Uh, yeah, 11, right? 11. And um, yeah, that's right. My magic number, right? That's the one I should never gamble on. 
And <laughs> I got stuck holding the bag and I couldn't wholesale them. So to not lose my down payments, I closed on all 11. How stupid was that? So now I have 11 negative, negatively cash flowing properties because I didn't think, look, see, and feel, right? I didn't, I didn't do the data, right? I didn't yeah. see that, yeah, a thousand people a day are moving in, but just, you know, 1,200 are dying. You know what I mean? Like that, you got to look at those numbers. You know what I mean? You got to look at who was actually buying those houses. It was only investor to investor. It was hot potato, right? And then, so that was my evolving in data there is that I had to look for jobs, markets where there was stable income. And that's when I learned like, okay, cash flow is the game. So I got myself out of that mess by uh, doing a strategic deal where I was able to buy six apartment buildings simultaneously. That was a little stupid too, but I went for cash flow, right? And cash flow did me well. I did well. Uh, the divorce didn't do me so well, but that the cash flow did well. And then when that all got taken away, I had to go through my divorce and I lost my house. And I went, oh my God, if I'm going through this, there's got to be other people that are going through this. And so then we started doing the list pendants list. And so we would buy in strategic markets and we did research. Uh, New Jersey, uh, Suffolk County, where I actually live, was the um, top 10 in the nation of foreclosures. So I thought, wow, this is of list pendants. So we-, we Filings, started, foreclosure filings, but they weren't getting completed. No, and that actually, that dynamic worked really well for us well. because the bank was willing to work with us because they knew they couldn't get to the finish line. We could talk to the homeowners in a way that said, hey, don't look at this as milking your life. Look at it as a launch to start your life because the- the real truth of the matter is nobody wants to stay in their home not paying rent. I, I mean, it sounds great and sexy and fun and all or mortgage, but Stressful. mentally it does something to them. They don't thrive because they're always afraid of like, who's going to pull my credit or mm. it just as a negative way of living. When you can free them out of that bondage is when you can help them overcome their fear, right? When you can tell them, listen, there is a better way let me show you how. And they listen. I've, I have people who come back to me two or three years later and they're like, oh, my whole life is all better. I, they move out of state. They do this. They move in with family. They buy another short sale. Life can begin when they stop. Yeah, because their credit situation, none of that starts improving until after they get the deal done and move on. Yeah, yeah and that, so that data was so important because we had callers calling constantly you know, when they were at auction dates or when they were in list pendants and developing those relationships. And now, so then we moved into other states. We moved into Connecticut, Rhode Island, um, down south. So our data led to where are good jobs, right? So I have a big portfolio in Tennessee and Memphis. I love Memphis. Uh, Nike built their plant there. Bayer, Bayer built there. Um, same thing with Pittsburgh. Did a lot of research and data on that. What's Where's jobs, right? So Here's a hint for all you listeners. You want to find where the good deals are. Don't go for the home runs. Go for the steady eddy cash flow where there's good, solid jobs, where there's good employment, you know, and it helps when you guys can provide good data like that, where, where um, 
absentee landlords, you know, that's a really good thing. We're going after that in Connecticut, you know, absentee landlords. Um, Especially if you have a holding power and you can bail out the folks like, uh, you know, New York, like our absentee landlord list in New York right now, if you've got holding power, it's a good time to get some discounts. (laughs) Yep, that's, and that's the truth, right? So you got hedge funds that are looking for those kind of deals. Um, Because New York inherently doesn't lose its value, really. It doesn't that bad. I mean, we can cry and complain all we want right now, but um, it's like California, right? California holds its value, just does, you know, because it's California, it's New York. But I find that for the average investor, especially when they're starting, you don't need to hit the heavy hitter areas. Go with the the bread and butter, the non-sexy areas, right? Alabama was great for me. I made so much money in Alabama. It was right. easy and it was five, ten thousand dollars here and there, twenty thousand here. But it was easy, you know. What about like in New York, New Jersey, right? So in California, there's they're only miles apart, but there's a big difference between trying to invest in Newport Beach and right. Riverside, right? Like those those are completely different markets and what an hour drive, Aaron? <laughs> you yeah. live down there. Without yeah. That. <laughs> without traffic one hour <laughs> without traffic one hour so do you get is, do you see some of that where there are those markets where the, you know closer to you that are growing and thriving and you know still going to be more expensive than memphis but um do you look at that and do you look for those kind of more micro opportunities within your market yeah so for long island um the bread and butter sweet spot like the Entry level is between three fifty and five fifty. I don't even think there's a house for three fifty in in Long Island anymore. I was going to say where. <laughs> yeah, that was like in the hood, right? The hood has changed, right? And that's probably why we go out of market. Our taxes are really our biggest drain on us. Um, you know, a simple little house like my house property taxes are close to sixteen grand, and I don't have a big, big yard or a lot of thing. You know, for sixteen grand, I mean that's crazy money. Um, our, our second house in, in Maryland, and that's not too far from D.C., uh, the taxes are $6,000, $10,000 less, you know? It's a crazy difference. So you get so much more value out of state. And um, So what strategies are you liking? Um, you mentioned absentee. Or is there a specific data set that you're tackling when you're going into these markets? So um, I like fatigued and absentee landlords. So like people in California – just because they have money, will invest in turnkey properties in out of states. <laughs> you like how I said that, right? <laughs> well, you look at a mailing address from California. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> or New York or Canada, uh, you know. Out right? of state absentee owner list is one of our more popular for sure, right? Yep. Yeah, uh, because uh, yeah. they think it's um, like that. What is that? George Foreman grill? Like set it and forget it. That's what they think it is. And. That's the danger. You should be a note holder, not a property owner, right? And that's the difference, right? If they can understand that. So they don't understand when the tenant calls and they have a problem or there's an issue with their tenant or something like that. So um, the older absentee owner too is another really popular list. So as you know, folks start hitting 70, 75, 80, right? They're kind of done with being a landlord. And, you know, they probably need or want the cash for other things and stuff, you know, so that post-retirement absentee landlord's another good one. 
Well, you know what's also good about that? Because they want to do their either 1031 exchanges and they'll do it to like a DST, you know, so the, um, yeah. so then at least it's just kind of more stagnant. They've exhausted their tax benefits. You know, another good uh, market list I'd be interested in is I was pretty passionate about this is the senior market because in our particular area, reverse mortgages are going to really hit hard in New York, New Jersey, and, and California where there's high t- property taxes. Because yeah. for anybody who doesn't know what a reverse mortgage is that's on the call, is that um, basically they don't have to make a mortgage payment, but they have to still stay current on their property taxes and their um, their insurance. But they essentially are using the equity in their house to live off of, whether it's in monthly payments or a lump sum. Now, a lot of mortgage pay uh companies back in the day were incentivized to get the lump sum money. And so a lot of these seniors had never seen this kind of cash in their life, right? So they kind of feel like they won the lottery, right? So they get their house, it's worth $600,000, right? They get a reverse mortgage, they get a lump sum of $300,000, they don't have to make a mortgage payment on it, and then they can live in it till they die. That sounds great. So now they spend all their money on, you know, all their grandkids paying for their weddings and fixing up, you know, buying cars and they Cadillac. don't fix up, yep, getting a Cadillac, you know, um, splurging and they don't save for their taxes and their insurance and they don't save for or do the repairs to their house because for the next 20 years they're going to live there. They think that they're not going to have a repair, you know, uh, a roof's not going to go or a heater element's going to go. And so six, eight years later, they can't pay their property tax. Their roof is leaking. And it's so sad because they probably lived there 20, 30 years. And now they have to find out that they're going to get kicked out of their house because they can't afford their mortgage tax. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking, honestly. It's heartbreaking. And yeah. so we do a lot of short sales. Right before COVID, we were getting about... 30% of our short sales were all reverse mortgages. It was so sad. It was so sad. And it, I would be interested in the data just to see how many people have reverse mortgages in our market areas yeah. because the yeah. reality is, oh, and, and then the beauty of it is, let's say they did save for a rainy day, right? Nassau County increased their taxes something like 17%, their property taxes in like a two, three-year period of time. Jeez. If you're on a fixed income Boom! You just lost your home. You just lost your home. Yeah. So that's People that's rail the real against problem. Prop 13 in California, but it's it is you know, you know, let property taxes not increase more than cost of living index. You know, because why yeah. should government grow faster than cost of living? And yeah. uh, you know, that just that one drives me insane. And one of the things I do like about California. Um, but yeah, no, that, that, uh, the reverse mortgage list is another, uh, uh, popular one and, and a fairly unique one that we have that a lot of people don't. So, yeah. I was thinking about that. So you could, because we have the demographics of the owner as well, would you be interested in, in the age of the owner combined with how long they had the, the loan in play? So the reverse mortgage, how many years would you want to see it season? Yeah. And the reason why is because they don't really feel it in the first five years, right? Five. Okay. Right. It's it's anything after that five is where they really start feeling it. And that's because they they don't really plan out that far. Ooh, and then the one. age. Yeah. New list another. 
I know. I'm going to give you more. Cause <laughs> I'm on it. I wrote it down. Back for another show. I'll have more ideas. <laughs> but um, yeah, I really do think that that's, look, I've come to this philosophy in life that when you serve others, you when you solve other people's problems, you solve your own problems, right? So yeah. it is a heartbreaking problem. And I'd love to solve it for some seniors because- and they're so embarrassed to tell their family members what happened because, you know, and then they're out on the street and they don't even know why, you know? So I, I started this thing called the golden girls. Um, so we would get a few of these single women, you know, their husband passed away. They're in the house. They don't know how to do the deferred. They're in the reverse or embarrassed. So we would get, the only way they could live together was if I put a couple of them together. So we had like Three women yeah. move into a house, four women. So I called it the Golden Girls because program because that was the only way they could afford to live here and still see their grandkids. Otherwise, it was move out of state, you know? So I love that. Yeah. Isn't that That's fun? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> like we have to end. Um, if yes. If wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach out? Probably go on Long Island Rhea, L I R E I A dot com. Um, definitely email me, Melissa at Long Island Rhea or info at Long Island Rhea. Um, we have every second, I'm sorry, every fourth Wednesday of the month, I do a free give back webinar. So you can sign up for that for free. And it's intro to real estate investing. Ask wherever, whatever questions you can pick my brain for that whole time and whatever you want to learn or it's all free. It's really, is it on zoom? It's on zoom. Yep. Very good. Okay. Everyone in the nation could go. We have people from California to Florida to Canada who join us and uh, even the UK. So <laughs> it's crazy. Um, you, you have seen this with the better is sounds like yours is one of those um, where with zoom. Now they've suddenly have this much broader, you know, audience than the the local folks that would drive, you know, maybe an hour to come right. to a meeting. It will be fun to have the in-person meetings though, too. Cause you know, uh, going to the RIAs and throughout California, like you meet a lot of people and you make a lot of friends and, you know, a lot of fa- familiar faces. And, and I do miss that. So it'll be I nice to too. see that part start again. So will you do a mix? Will you continue mm-hmm. doing this? And, and yeah. but you'll go back to doing the live. Uh, yeah, ones. we did. We do semi live. So we'll have a live audience and um, zoom at the same time. So I can okay. hold up to 25 legally here, whatever with the COVID restrictions. And um, yeah, so we do that on our uh, second Wednesday, our general meeting. We have that here so that there's a little networking still. But um, yeah, yeah, I can't wait to the day, Sean. I really would look forward to that. So. We're close. We're making a lot of progress. I feel good yeah. about it. All right. Thank you so well, much for asking me to be on your show. It's yes, fun. Lisa, thanks for being here. Very cool. All Have right. So All long, right. everybody. Thank Bye you. Thank you for listening to the Data-Driven Real Estate Podcast. You can find show notes and links to some of the resources mentioned in the show at datadrivenrealestate.com. Click that, join the community, and you'll be forwarded to the Property Radar community where you can ask questions about the current show and even see upcoming guests and ask questions there. We'd love to engage with you in the community, so check it out. Please don't forget to like, favorite, subscribe, and share on your favorite platform where you're listening to the show. It helps us out a great deal. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.